You are listening to Spot On, a health and wellness podcast that breaks through the latest media headlines to provide you with accurate and usable information that is, well, spot on, spot on to meet your needs. I am your host, Dr. Joan Salji-Blake, a nutrition professor at Boston University and the author of the college textbook called Nutrition and You, which is used in colleges across the United States and abroad. Hello, Spot On listeners. Uh, Boy, you know, I read this statistic um, from an article that my guest wrote, and I'm, I'm not shocked, but I am shocked. And what she said in our guest said in this article that the subscriptions for anti-medication has gone up over 37% during the early part of this pandemic. I I mean, I'm shocked, but I'm really not shocked because let me tell you, this has been long, as we all know, and very, very stressful. So guess what? I have really great news for you because my guest today uh, is the fabulous Dr. Uma Naidu. She is an award board certified psychiatrist at Harvard Medical School, so she's right around the corner. And she's also a professional chef, but she's the author of this fabulous book. It's This Is Your Brain on Food. And what this book does, it provides a roadmap to the dietary choices that most impact mental health. And and in it, Dr. Uma discusses the cutting-edge data that explains how food contributes to our mental health and the science behind the ways a healthy diet and treat and prevent a wide range of psychological and cognitive health, including stress. I just want to welcome Dr. Uma Naidu today on Spot On. Thank you so much, Joan. It's really lovely to be here, and thank you for having me. I am I am like a sponge. I want to absorb every solid thing that you tell me because I am absolutely fascinated on this connection. So please tell me, how did you develop this passion for nutrition and psychiatry and its effects on the brain? I'm just fascinated by this. Well, thank you so much. You know, I have to say it goes back to my childhood and... um Everything goes back to the childhood, doesn't it, right? Yeah. <laughs> it really does. Um, I grew up in a very large South Asian family surrounded by lots of love, nurturance. You know, the household was um, surrounded by food and love, but also these discussions around science and medical science and what was going on in the body. So these these were the influences that I naturally had around me. So I was I skipped, I, I skipped the preschool stage. I stayed with my grandma because it was much more fun. And uh, she, my, my book is dedicated to her as well. And um, so so the things like, you know, we did very normal kind of natural things. We'd pick vegetables from the garden. I'd watch her cook. And I was too little to be in the kitchen, but I'd watch her and help out with little things. And so that really came with me in a very ingrained way. But at the same time, you know, my grandfather taught me how to meditate. Uh, we learned yoga. It was just part of the natural environment in which I grew up. And the funny thing is that, Joan, I, I didn't really learn how to cook because there were always too many great cooks in the kitchen. And um, I, when I moved away was when I took, my, took the spice recipes and took my mom's recipes and my grandma's recipes and really tried my hand at cooking. And I found that, you know, I, I had learned a certain amount just from from my surroundings and reading about nutrition. So I cared that it was healthy, but I also wanted it to be delicious. And I found cooking 
to be a really creative space for me, a space of mindfulness and a space where I could experiment. When I began learning about psychotropic medications and I understood the devastating side effects they also have, in addition to be life-saving for many people, including some of my patients, I sort of felt this need to ask them more questions because, you know, are there, were there ways to offset weight gain? Were there ways that I could be talking to them about what they were eating? Were they exercising? I just naturally began to ask these questions. And my um, detour to culinary school was because in those early days of studying and learning how to cook, my friend on television was Julia Child because I could only afford public television in Boston. And, you know, the French chef was still running at that time and uh, still does. And I really felt encouraged by her confidence and how much she loved food and, and just, you know, she, I was enamored with her work. When I realized later on that she, that culinary, the culinary arts were her second career, I thought, well, you know, why not me? And that's what I mean by, you know, just following things that I love to do. And I was fortunate that I was able to make the time and had the energy to do these things. My interest in nutrition, my work in psychiatry and mental health, and my work uh, just as a professional chef really started to coalesce and landed in this nexus of work that I had been doing, asking people about how they were eating, how could they eat differently, plus attending to their psychiatric, just their psychiatric symptoms. And through good mentorship, I was, um, you know, really supported in starting the clinical service that I founded at Mass General to look at nutrition and mental health. And the book uh, was also a, a very pleasant surprise, Joan. I had been blogging um, in different places and writing about my interests in the gut brain connection, etc. And the Wall Street Journal reached out to me to interview me um, about this. And that, unbeknownst to me, this article went viral and I had agents and publishers reaching out to me. That's really how the book was born. Okay, so why do I think your life story is going to be on Netflix? <laughs> Well, thank you. If you have, you know, if you have any connections, Joan, I'm, I, I'll keep my we'll phone We'll talk on. at the end of this. Okay, we'll talk. But that is just a fabulous story. You talk about food for thought and such so, such powerful people that you grew up with um, and how that influenced you um, and to go, you know, you, you followed your mother's footsteps in the, in the medical world, but in a different way. Um, taking in your grandmother's talents. Just absolutely fabulous. Okay, so let's get to this because, you know, uh, obviously I'm a nutrition professor and, I, you know, I think everything is the diet. Um, and, and, you know, your brain. And in many is, ways it is, but people don't really acknowledge or realize that. Uh, I mean, it's the biggest driver of metabolic disease is how we that's change right. our lifestyles, right? So That's yeah. right. That's right. You got that. I always want to fight disease with a fork and a knife. Um so, okay, so tell me just on overall, because I'm going to get into, the, the book is fabulous. I'm going to get into certain things in the diet that could be problematic or good. But um, tell me how, like what you eat or drink affects your stress or anxiety levels. So, you know, the way that um, I cover the research in this book, based on both my clinical scientific experience and my clinical work, plus a review, an extensive review of the literature, you know, I've reviewed 
close to a thousand articles and we included over 500 in the book. Um, and we really felt that people want, needed to have those references in case they wanted to look to see where this was coming from. But what I discovered is that the burgeoning research in the gut microbiome over the last decade and a half to two decades started to inform my understanding of, you know, the gut microbiome and the gut-brain connection. And what I mean by that is when you look at it more closely, the gut and brain may not be in the same parts of the body, but they arise from the exact same cells. Then they divide up and, and end up in different parts of the body. So that's one real connection right there. Then uh, anatomically, uh, you know, the connection is between the um, vagus, the vagus nerve, which is the 10th cranial nerve running from the gut to the brain and the brain to the gut. That's important for us to understand. And then two more facts that I'd like to throw in so people understand it in context is that many people hear about like the medications you, you mentioned, uh, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors like Prozac, Paxil, Lexapro, just to name a few. Those are the brand names. But more than 90% of the serotonin receptors are in the gut. So, you know, when, when I prescribe an SSRI, um, I always warn people that you will initially have some gastrointestinal upset, and I tell them why. So I think it also helps to understand that, that the receptors are right there in the gut where our food is also going through the process of digestion. And then I think for here and now, it's really important for people to know that more than about 70% of our immune system is in the gut. So, so when you put those facts together, you understand that as, as we eat our food and as the food is being digested, I like to say to people, you know, as the food is being digested, it can be forming really great substances for, for our body. One of those good substances are the short-chain fatty acids, but and also be forming toxic substances. And really what informs that is how we're eating. We can be kind of in the fast food lane, getting junk foods, processed foods, or we can be trying to tweak a healthier diet and moving down a healthier path. And everything that we eat, we know from research in a 24-hour period, affects those microbes in the gut microbiome. And you don't feel it immediately, but it does start to impact and cause changes. And what I like to say to people, John, is that what you want to be doing is that nurturing that gut microbiome, nurturing those, you know, 39-odd trillion microbes down there that really are there to help you. So if we feed them well, they will help you. They will help your immune system. They will help your hormone balance. They will help um, so many things, including your mental well-being. But if you kind of don't take care of them and you feed the bad microbes in the gut and they start to overcome the good microbes in the gut, and that's a setup for uh, dysbiosis, an imbalance in the gut, and really inflammation. But that's sort of an, just an overarching description of where I feel the importance is of putting together what we eat with our emotional health. See, that's fascinating. So, you know, uh, this, this whole microbiome is really fascinating. And I just want to tell the spot on listeners that we are going to have an episode on the microbiome in, in, a, in a few weeks from um, today's episode. But um, so we'll no longer know more about that. But I just love, Dr. Uma, that the way you said feed the good bacteria and that's going to affect you know that that highway to the brain and and have a positive things going on you're you're right there is a gut brain connection and you know right now i have a visual of a highway going right now from my gut to my brain you know it's like the new jersey turnpike is going right up there um so, so uh you know I'm, I'm like okay i got it i got it this is going to be really good we're going to go fast on that so let's break it down um uh, um 
how can, you know, certain foods uh, decrease anxiety? And in your book, you talk about dietary fiber, which I can tell, and you know this, and I know this, that Americans are falling so short on the amount of dietary fiber that they should be getting in, in their diets because our diet isn't adequate in whole grains and fruits and vegetables. So tell me how a higher, higher fiber diet can affect uh, decreased anxiety or stress. Absolutely. So, you know, when it comes to mental well-being, fiber is your friend. And it turns out that Americans are very focused. All of us, you know, we tend to count you know, how many grams of protein are we eating, but we're seriously lacking in the amount of fiber way under what we should be eating. And, you know, a lot of people, Joan, have the misconception that when you say fiber, it's like, oh, this is, you know, the little drink my grandmother has because she has some problems with her, her belly or her constipation. It really isn't. We need to walk ourselves back from that, that misunderstanding, really, to understand that fiber is a very important nutrient. And it's especially important for a few reasons. The, the fiber is what feeds those good microbes. And fiber can, can, can't be obtained from animal and seafood protein. So you really want to bring plants into your diet to help with the fiber load. So, you know, um, vegetables, fruit, beans, nuts, seeds, legumes, healthy whole grains are what feed or bring fiber to those microbes. So if you include those in your diet, that is going to help you. But the way, the, the other method in which um, the fiber in your diet helps your mental well-being, such as your stress, is that fiber is more complex. So it does not break down, you know, compare a healthy salad or a more nutritious, say, chia pudding for breakfast compared to a sugary donut. The sugary donut breaks down really fast in your body. You have a surge of insulin, you have a sugar high, and then a sugar crash. And people will, will report this when I speak to them about how they feel and they start paying attention to it. Oh, they may feel exhausted, tired. They may feel hungry in a little bit after having a breakfast of, you know, even two, in two, even two donuts. And because of the yo-yo effect of the, um, the insulin spike, this can actually drive anxiety. So they feel more stressed. They, you know, they, they feel a little bit jittery compared to putting them or suggesting to them, you know, make a little mini frittata for breakfast, um, you know, made with eggs, made with, um, you know, pastured eggs and some spinach and maybe some nice spices. That's more filling. And the more filling breakfast option will leave your blood sugar on more of an even keel. The food takes longer to break down in your body to be digested. And it doesn't cause that spiking of the insulin. So people just naturally feel a lot calmer. They feel satiated by a breakfast that's more complex. That's the best way to explain that, you know, fiber is really your friend in, in mental well-being. Um, it also nurtures the, the good microbes in the gut, and then they start to produce really good substances in your gut. So when you have a high-fiber diet, a breakfast like you were just talking about, or any meal, and you have some protein with it, yeah, any meal, right? And you have some protein with it. You talked about the eggs and, you know, vegetables and whole grains and, and such. So really, you, uh, you know, I'm a big shopper, so I'm getting two for the price of one here. So I'm feeding the healthy gut bacteria with the fiber, but then I'm feeding my blood glucose levels because they are going to be staying more stabilized. So I don't have that up and down peak of glucose dropping and then it's going off and up and down. Um, and so I, I'm more steady. And and you you know, when, you, when your glucose, blood glucose drops, you, you do get that anxious. Tell
Tell us about omega-3 fatty acids. I love these. Go ahead. Sure. So omega-3 fatty acids have been studied for many decades now, and they actually impact and improve mood, they help anxiety, and they have many, many positive effects, as you will see in the different chapters in my book. They are found in fatty fish, like salmon, uh, wild-caught salmon, uh, sardines, mackerel. They um, are anti-inflammatory, have rich antioxidant effects, and Omega-3s can also be found in plant-based sources. They can be found, the short-chain ALA can be found in chia seeds, flax seeds, pumpkin seeds, walnuts. So if you happen to be vegetarian or vegan, you can still obtain omega-3s. They're less, uh, they, they, they absorb slightly differently and, and you might need a little bit of help with the absorption, but you can still obtain them. Why are they important? Because they have been shown to improve mood and lower anxiety. So including, you know, if you eat salmon, including that a few times a week in your diet is actually going to be helping, um, you know, that with some nice sides of veggies are going to be helping um, just your omega-3 levels in your body. Many people supplement with omega-3 and supplements are fine. I think supplements have a place for the nutrition gaps that we have in our diets. But you can also obtain these through food. Uh, so they are a good, easy, and powerful uh, nutrient that you can get from diet that directly impacts in a positive way your mental well-being. Right. You know, and there's nothing like salmon. Uh, I, I, you know, so fabulous. Um, you know, we're talking, um, you know, taste is the number one driver why people make a food choice. And, you know, you know, and, and not that there's anything wrong with a supplement, but boy, you can get it in, with such a flavorful, flavorful way. What about, I, I'm hearing so much about aged and fermented and cultural foods. We know that they, you know, have the probiotics in there, which again, we'll talk more about that in a later episode, but tell us how this affects uh, yeah, anxiety and stress. Absolutely. So, um, you know, the many many people hear about probiotics because it's a it's sort of a buzzword at times. And probiotics can be a supplement, but you can get those um, live active cultures from fermented foods. And fermented foods are easily in our you know can be added into our diet through kimchi, kefir, pickles, uh, natto, miso, um, kombucha. These can be added into uh, our diet every single day, and they really should be. So probiotics and, and, and then fermented foods are one whole category that really bring back live active cultures to those gut microbes. And they bring back, let's think about it this way, they bring back more friends and they are helping to nurture the gut microbiome. Whereas prebiotic foods, um, are, uh, people are becoming more familiar with them, but they can be things that, uh, things like asparagus, uh, beans, oats, um, jicama, um, dandelion greens, uh, and many more that I list in the book. But prebiotic fiber now again feeds those good microbes in the gut. So you're sort of nurturing them. And then with the probiotics, you're bringing them some more friends. So it, these, by, by eating appropriately and eating healthier choices, your gut uh, microbiome is in balance and you have uh, less uh, pro pro propensity to have worsening symptoms of anxiety, and it's under better control. So interesting. All right, now some things that are not so good. So what foods or beverages can increase anxiety? Yeah, you know, the, these, uh, you, you may not be surprised by this list, but uh, the issue is uh, that, that sometimes people don't realize 
that things like added and refined sugars um, uh, uh, actually worsen depression and drive anxieties. So we, you know, we tend to to know added added and refined sugars are not great for us. But then these processed vegetable oils. And my tip around this um, uh, food food item is that. You know, when you're eating at fast food restaurants or certain restaurants, the the it's more cost effective for them to have processed vegetable oils. So if you're consuming that fast food diet, that's where you probably are getting a lot of pro-inflammatory processed vegetable oils, which then again, by being pro-inflammatory, means they're driving or worsening or causing inflammation. So that's another important category just to be aware of. I also read uh, from your article, and um, Dr. Uma wrote this fabulous article, Eat to Beat Stress, that was in the, the culinary, the Journal of the Culinary Medicine that we're going to put up on the Spot On Facebook page, as well as a link to our fabulous book. Um, but in it, you were talk, talked about caffeine. Well, you know, I sort of know where we're going with this, but tell us about caffeine. Right. You know, I my my I, I should just spend a second, John, to tell you that my overarching principle with working in nutritional psychiatry is to to be open to what people are eating or drinking and to help them tweak the choices they're making. Studies have shown that having less than four hundred milligrams a day is usually well tolerated by a lot of people. It's when um, for me coffee becomes an issue when a person drinks a cup of coffee and they feel jittery, their pulse is rating, they feel uncomfortable. Then paying attention to body intelligence becomes important and understanding you need to move to half calf or decaf or not have coffee at all. So part of it is really how a person responds. If you do like coffee and it's something you enjoy, you know, try to stick to one to two cups of coffee a day. If you have more, have it early in the day. What I find very problematic about coffee is what people add into the coffee. So the processed creamers, the, um, you know, the artificial sweeteners, um, the tons of sugar, all, all of that, or, you know, the, 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 the fancy coffee drinks that people have that are more like dessert. Um, you know, so it's just really understanding that it's also what you add in your drink. Um, coffee on its own is pretty well tolerated and has some health benefits. So it's up to you, you know, if, if you're not a coffee drinker, then they're not for you. But if you are, there are ways in which you can enjoy it responsibly. Uh, same, you know, same with alcohol. Okay. And that's my perfect segue to that one, <laughs> Dr. Uma. Tell us about alcohol and, and, and how that may be problematic. Because I think a lot of people don't realize they say, ah, I need a glass of wine to relax. But tell us really what's the story with alcohol. Absolutely. Um, you know, Joan, I uh, in my book I used I used guidelines from um, national from national databases and that type of stuff. I personally think alcohol again is very much a personal choice. Um, I, I, what I warn people about is, and again, it goes back to the principle of how I work with people. More people than not drink alcohol and drink coffee. Um, that is a very gross generalization, but all I'm trying to say is that more people are likely to have a glass of wine than not when you speak to them or, or, or be, you know, enjoyed as a beverage. So rather work with them around understanding what's good for you. The fact that you shouldn't be having a glass of wine to help you sleep because ultimately it does, it does, it has a sedating effect. It will put you to sleep, but it'll disrupt your sleep architecture and you will have much worse sleep down the road. A big problem we're seeing in COVID. The second is that, um, 
sleep actually initially quells anxiety and you know may may give you an initial good feeling but it is a depressant and it worsens mood so beware of it if you're using it to calm yourself down because it'll have a rebound effect so you're saying that the alcohol will have that you know go go to sleep and and uh seducing but then it's the alcohol that that has problems later is that correct yes so so the alcohol disrupts your sleep even if it initially has that sedating effect it ultimately disrupts your sleep architecture but then the actual substance alcohol we know from the receptors that it works on in the brain that it is a depressant so it has a depressant effect so people who are drinking because they feel initially you know i feel nice if i have a glass of wine or cocktail um ultimately that catches up and it worsens depression so it's something that many people don't realize and it's something to be aware of with alcohol so again it's it's being responsible with um with the amount you drink how you drink when you drink well doctor um i i want to leave i always like to leave on a positive note so tell us what is the best you know food beverage diet to reduce stress and anxiety the my feeling um in terms of where i'm at with the review of the literature and the current research is that i do think that the mediterranean diet has a lot of uh good data behind it i also think uh john that that with the crisis in our metabolic health in this country being that 88% of americans have some problem in their metabolic health i think some combination of the uh, elements of the mediterranean diet the, that is rich in fruit vegetables legumes beans healthy fats like olive oil and avocado um seafood um you know meats and things like that but combining it with an awareness of um carbohydrate load and where you're getting your carbohydrates from and and there are delicious recipes in this book correct yes there are okay so uh that i am leaving on a yummy ending to this one because uh dr uma and i do you are just a wealth of information i am so excited that you shared this with us again her book is this is your brain on food and you you talk about food for thought everyone needs to go out and get this we'll put a link on the uh, spot on facebook page but dr uma i can't thank you enough for being on spot on thank you so much it was a pleasure talking to you and uh, thank you so much for inviting me Spotton is supported by the Boston University Sargent College's Master of Science degree in nutrition program. Log on to bu.edu to learn more about this fabulous nutrition graduate program. Thank you for listening to Spotton. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This way you'll get every new episode every week. And by the way, leave us a nice review. And can you also like us on our Spot On Facebook page and suggest topics for future episodes? Please follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Joan Salgi Blake. And oh, by the way, can you send this episode to five of your friends? Do I ask a lot of you? <laughs>